0: Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Mark tells us, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Pray with me. Father, we ask and pray that you would teach us from this moment in time. We see Jesus on that hillside as he's gone to be alone with you. The disciples come up. Help us to understand the heart of Christ and the model of Christ today. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's message is entitled simply, Quiet Time. Quiet Time. That's a funny term that we use, quiet time. When our kids misbehave, we put them in a quiet time. It's, it's punishment. It's funny, as we become adults, we, we long for that quiet time more and more sometimes, but we're, we're as attention deficit as our children We punish them with quiet time because it's boring. It's uh, our way of of teaching them to behave or to do what we want them to do. But for adults, when we lead hectic, fast-paced, high-pressure lives, we end up paying thousands of dollars to fly or go wherever we can to get away from all of this chaos, hoping for a little quiet time. Is that not true? we buy campers and RVs and pay extraordinary amounts of money just to quote unquote get away from it all so we can have quiet time. But then when we get there no longer no sooner have we arrived when we fill it up with a complex itinerary and check uh, a checklist of a thousand things that we want to do before we come back home and we come back from our vacation exhausted because we never had any of that precious, quiet time. What an interesting week it's been. Last Sunday was picnic weather. It was short sleeve, warm, sunny weather. Beautiful day last Sunday. Sunday, And I remember thinking, wow, it's February, or it's about to be February, and it's this warm. But then winter came ferociously this week for two days. Two brutal days. And uh, this week, however, already, again, most of the days this week are going to be in the 60s. Tomorrow's 55. That's the coldest day of the week, 55. And then one day is in the 70s, and it's February. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful week. But those two days this past week give me, did give me pause for reflection. Time to think. <clears throat> for two days, we didn't really leave the house That's almost unprecedented. There just wasn't much that we could do, in fact, during those two days. It was quiet. Almost no cars on the road, and I'm appreciative of that. I think you and I as Texans understand our incredible inability to drive in any kind of precipitation that freezes. In fact, I went to go get Cherry. Cherry worked Friday—excuse uh, me, Wednesday night and Thursday night at Baylor Hospital where she works, and and she didn't even come home Thursday morning. She works the night shift. They had a bed for her, and she just stayed there all day because they wanted her to be sure to be back that night for another shift. They needed their nurses. But I went to go uh, go get her. Friday was it was at Friday morning, and even Friday morning at six thirty. There were cars on the side of the road as I went to go get her. One guy had a Suburban, and he was jackknifed right across the road at the base of a hill. He tried to come up the hill, coming from the other direction, couldn't make it up the hill. That big, heavy Suburban slid down and jackknifed in the middle of the road. And so I, of course, applied my brakes, and and that meant nothing. I just slid right down the hill at, at him. And you know, you do this thing where you're just frantically turning the wheel every way it'll go to see what will happen, and was able to miss him. But most of you had the good God given sense to stay at home. During those two days, Wednesday, uh, Thursday, and Friday, uh, I uh, remember the lack of hearing car noise. My neighbor has a bunch of dogs, God bless him. And uh, they bark all the time, but they weren't barking those two days. They were inside where it was warm. It was interesting. It, it, it drove me crazy. It was, it was great for a few hours. But then the quiet just got to me. It seemed more like two weeks than two days. I sat there thinking of all the things that I needed to do. Increasing my anxiety and overlooking the peace of the moment and the beauty of the quiet, I just struggled with quiet time. From today's passage, I can tell you quiet time was not an option for Jesus. He cleared his schedule as often as he needed for a little time alone with his father. And I have to ask the question, why? Why? Did you know that Jesus, of course you know this, he walked everywhere. We don't have any record that Jesus owned a camel. I think about the only two times we see him on an animal is on the night of his birth, uh, before he was born, Mary was riding a donkey, and then when he entered in Jerusalem, he was riding a donkey. Other than that, he walked everywhere he went. Now, you and I walk to the car, (laughs) but we don't really understand that there were Many times, as Jesus walked from town to town, where it takes us minutes, it took him hours or days. I can't imagine that he's talking to his disciples that entire time. There had to have been minutes or even hours and multiple hours where there was not much talking as they were just walking. There was what we would consider a tremendous amount of quiet time. But here in this passage, we see that Jesus wanted to do something beyond that. I've been married for 23 years, and my wife and I have the ability to be beside each other for quite long periods of time without saying a word. (laughs) Marriage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that she's there, and I assume she's glad I'm there. But we don't necessarily always feel the need to be talking all the time. We can just quietly be there together. But for Jesus, there was a need to even get beyond any person in his life, even his own mother and spend time alone with his heavenly Father. He did not see quiet time as an option. Um, Because quiet time, and this is really what I wanna say today, quiet time feeds us spiritually. Quiet time feeds you spiritually. And you may be thinking, well, pastor, isn't that what Sunday morning service is for? Yes. Is is that not what your sermons are for? Yes. Is that not why I go to Bible study on Wednesday or my Bible study group or my Sunday school class? And yes, those are times of spiritual feeding. But listen to me. There is a spiritual feeding you will only get when you are completely alone with your heavenly father. You won't get it in a crowd. You won't get it in a class. Only with him alone. So you may ask, how? How does quiet time do that? How does quiet time manage to feed us spiritually? Well, I want to give you just four reasons today very quickly why quiet time alone with our Father in heaven is important to Jesus and should be important to us. Why quiet time was important to Jesus and why it should be important to us. Number one, and I believe I have these up there, Jesus knew quiet time helps to focus our faith. Jesus knew that quiet time helps to focus our faith. That is, focus uh, our faith. That is to focus to see God. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Amen. Psalm 42, 1 says it this way As a deer thirsts for streams of water, so I thirst for you, God. I thirst for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? Now you and I understand that God is omnipresent. We can meet with God everywhere, anywhere. And yet the psalmist who knows that says, there is a time and a place where I want to get together with God because I long for him. I long to be with him. He's looking forward to that quiet time. Jesus' new quiet time helps to focus our faith. I told you a few weeks ago that I don't like texting. I may have used the word hate. If I didn't, I should have. I don't remind receiving texts, and you're welcome to text me. No group texts, that's the devil. But (laughs) individual texts, you're welcome to text me. Now, you probably won't get a response, or if you do, it'll be a yes or no, or next Tuesday or something like that. It'll be brief. I encourage you. And I know there's a lot of members in our church, but I encourage you, if you want to communicate with your pastor, call me. I know you have my number because that's how you text me. (laughs) So call me. I'm always, believe it or not, most hours of the day, I'm happy to talk with you. I would rather talk to you than text you. I want to hear your voice. But the truth is, I wasn't being fair when I told you that I hate texting. The truth is, I hate cell phones. I've learned to hate them. I mean, hate them. The landlines yeah, landlines are better. they you know, you have no idea. <laughs> so when we had landlines back in the day, you know, here's an old man story. Back in the day, before cell phones, in the way back in the 90s and before. Yes, so if you wanted to talk to somebody on the phone, you had to call their house and hope to goodness they're home. And then we had, when I was a kid, they, they had not come up with voice machines yet. But then, you know, in college and on, they had, we had voice machines. And you could say, leave a message, and they would leave a message if it was really important. But that's not the case today. Phones are an albatross around our neck. They make it impossible for us to ever truly be alone. You and I have been duped into thinking that we have to have them, but we don't. I'm telling you, we don't. I pastored for many years without a cell phone just fine. You, if you're you're over 30, you lived your life for many years just fine without a cell phone. Somehow, our ancestors for the last 4,000 years, including all of biblical history, were able to cripple through life without a cell phone. I know it's hard to imagine, (laughs) but they did it. (laughs) You can't leave the house without your cell phone the moment you realize you turn the car around and go back and get it. We can't go to the bathroom without checking our email and social media accounts. We don't have any downtime at all. We have become the most attention deficit generation in history because of the cell phone. We, we can't do anything. But somehow, and I know this is hard to imagine, the world managed to survive just fine without it. But there is one thing I do like about cell phones. It drives Cherry crazy, but I'll tell you, I love the camera. Now it's a camera system. When cameras first came out on phones, they were terrible. I remember the first iPhone, I think it was a two megapixel camera, it was awful. It was awful. I think they're up to four megapixel now, but I don't know. So they've gotten a lot better, have they not? And so I have this thing. I've always liked photography. When I was in high school, my parents, my father was a barber, my mother was a school teacher, and they didn't have any money, but they, they started with my oldest brother and told him that for his high school graduation gift, they were gonna get him a really nice gift, several hundred dollars, four or five hundred dollars, Now, we grew up poor. I mean, we had a $10 limit when I was a kid uh, with Santa and uh, Christmas gifts. When I was really young, it was $3. And then I remember the big increase to $10. And so a multi-hundred-dollar gift was unheard of and unthinkable to us. And at the time, that was a lot more money than it is now, especially with the inflation. Anyway... Uh, but I remember that. And so when it came my turn and they said, son, what do you want for your graduation gift? I immediately knew what I wanted. I wanted a Nikon 35 millimeter professional grade camera, uh, something of an antique by today's standards. But I wanted that because I love to take pictures. I bought lenses and I had the whole kit and I took it everywhere with me. I took uh, and, and you you guys get this because you, all of you have a a. a camera in your pocket right now. I love taking pictures of special moments. Now, a lot of the pictures that we take are just junk, you know, what we had for lunch or whatever. But we take pictures. Every now and then you get that shot, you know, that special birthday with your children or your grandchildren or that sunset that is just right. And without even thinking of it, you see that beautiful sunset and you start reaching in your pocket because you gotta get a shot of that. I, I, my camera right now has a periscope zoom lens. I actually am able to take beautiful pictures of the moon. It'll zoom in on the moon. I, I mean, just stunning pictures. I make Cherry look at every one of them. <laughs> you see all the craters and everything in it. And I buy a new cell phone almost every year. And again, it drives her crazy because I want the best camera I can have because those moments you can't replace. I find that to be a value to me. I I love the camera. Because it reminds me of those special times with my loved ones. But here's what really gets me. And it's not as bad now as it used to be. When I take that perfect photo, and later I go through and look at it, thinking it's the most beautiful thing, it's a special moment, the colors are all right, the, the lighting is just right, the, 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 the subject matter is perfect, a moment in time. But then I look at the photo and I realize it's blurry. Stupid cell phone cameras. Can't even get to see with cell phones. With with, with my old Nikon, you, you turn it, you focus it yourself, and so you have nobody to blame. But with my cell phone, it just does it itself if it wants to. And sometimes, if you have multiple subjects in in the picture, it focuses on the wrong thing because it's stupid. It doesn't know anything. It's a camera. And so it just drives me crazy when I have the perfect picture, the perfect moment, the perfect scene, and it's ruined because it's out of focus. Your life and my life is exactly like that. All the elements could be there great family, great career. Uh, um, uh, you, you, you have a beautiful home. W- whatever you find is valuable in your life. You're going to church, you're, you're exploring your faith, and you're growing in the Lord. And yet somehow in the midst of all of that, your life is out of focus. It's blurry. Your relationship with your heavenly father lacks focus. Jesus had laser focus with his father because of quiet time. With him, There's no bypass. If he can't bypass that, you and I can't. There's no loophole. You have to spend quiet, quality time alone with your creator. Our ability to see our God is out of focus in this blurry world. Such a small amount of time in our day, a quiet time makes all the difference. Number two, Jesus knew quiet time affected his public time. Jesus knew quiet time affected his public time. And again, Jesus was perfect. So I can assure you even more with us. If you spend that time going to work in prayer, focusing on your God and your relationship with God and what he wants for you for that day, when you get out of your car, you're much more likely to be kind and godly at work. Whereas if you're cussing mad because of all the traffic when you get to the work, you're you're gonna be that way all day or come home and you're gonna be that way. Jesus knew that quiet time affected his public time. You have to note this, Jesus was never caught off guard. Nobody ever blindsided Jesus. He was ready for the disciples every day. for their foolish comments and questions and for Peter and his hard-headedness, Jesus was ready. He was ready for the sick and the lame. You never saw Jesus turn around and go, whoa, what do I do? He never said that in his life. He was ready for the trick questions of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He was ready for those who wanted to worship him, those who wanted to use him, and those who wanted to kill him. He was ready in large part because of his quiet time alone with his heavenly father. It helped prepare him privately for life publicly. Number three, Jesus knew quiet time empowers us to know God's direction in our lives. That is his will. Quiet time empowers us, and that's an important word, it is power. It empowers us to know God's direction in our lives, his will. People often ask me, it's one of the most common questions that I receive. They say, Pastor, how do I know what the difference is between God's will and my will? How do I know that God is leading me to go this direction and not that direction? How can I, how can I really know that? And again, I get that fairly frequently and you, you maybe hear that too or think that as well. How do, how do I know? How do I make this decision versus that decision? What does God really want me to do? And how can I really be sure of that? Well, you remember, of course, on the last day of his life, Jesus is in prayer at Gethsemane, and he makes, those famous, uh, that, makes that famous statement as he's talking to his heavenly Father. He says, but not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus is using that quiet time to laser focus on the Heavenly Father's will. You remember, that was quiet time. He's in the last few hours. He's about to be arrested. In fact, as he's there in the garden, he's going to be arrested. The the authorities come in and Judas comes in and gives him a, a kiss to to let the authorities know that's the guy you should arrest. So that betrayal is about to happen. Jesus goes to the garden with some of his disciples, remember? They were there, but he did not have them go with him while he's praying. He put them in a different place in the garden. He said, all right, I want you to wait right here. Pray, don't sleep, pray. And he was frustrated later because they kept falling asleep. He'd go back, check on them, and they're fast asleep. They're out cold. They have no idea what's going on. But he doesn't take them with him. He has them there. He wants them to pray for him, which, by the way, is interesting in and of itself. He's asking the disciples to pray for him. (laughs) I just find that amazing. And, of course, they weren't up for the task, unfortunately. They'd be praying later on, but they they were too sleepy then. And he leaves them there, and he goes to be completely alone so he can spend time with his heavenly Father. One more time before the arrest. And in the midst of that, the context of that, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew that quiet time empowers us to know the direction of God in our life, his will. Do you know God's direction? And then number four, Jesus knew quiet time helped set the perfect pace for his life and ministry. Now don't underestimate this one. This is really important. Jesus knew quiet time helped set the perfect pace for his life and ministry. Jesus did not ever spring things ahead too fast. He never got in a hurry. Nor did he ever drag his feet and never do anything. There was perfect timing in his life. In fact, timing was a big deal to him. Remember when Judas, uh, not Judas, when, uh, when uh, Lazarus died, he stayed where he was because it wasn't time for him to go back. He didn't want to get there just before Lazarus died. He didn't want to get there just after Lazarus died. He didn't want to get there in the first three days. He wanted to get there on day number four because that was theologically important to Jews. Because they believed that the Spirit hovered in and around the body for three days and then it departed. And so it was truly beyond impossible to resurrect somebody who had been dead four days. Never, never happened before. Jesus had resurrected several people at this point, but never after four days. That was, that was something only God could do. And it was important that Jesus or for Jesus that everybody understand that. That when he showed up on day four, said Lazarus come out and came out, everybody realized, oh my goodness, this is not just the Messiah, this is God incarnate. Because only God can do that. His timing was perfect to him, but the others did not see it. And often that's the way it is in the world. He often encountered others with very different timing, even though his timing was just right. Even his own mother, remember when he was at Cana in Galilee at that big wedding banquet, Mary came up to him, his mother, and said, son, they're out of wine. She didn't care about wine. What did she care about? She wanted him to start his ministry. I think, if I can use the vernacular, she was coming up to him and saying, son, you're 30 years old. It's time to start. You're a little bit shy. I'm going to help you out. Because that was her timing, and do you remember what he said to his mother? Woman, don't you know it's not yet my time? You see, spending time alone with your heavenly father helps you to know the right pace for your life. I love my wife, and I'm happily married, uh, but this is not, and I may have told you this before, I don't know if I've ever shared with you this is not the first time I've ever been engaged. I was actually engaged to somebody else, Previously, and I'm thankful I didn't end up with her, but I didn't end up with her Her name was Sheila McCracken And I loved her to death, but I was only six years old when I dated her (laughs) But I was out to marry Sheila I drew a picture of me in a suit It was a drawing pencil drawing and it was like this big and she had this big wedding dress on so sorry, sweetie You're not the first one. Um, I didn't even know why I liked her. I just did and I remember that. And so maybe you had a crush when you were a kid, puppy love, but it's not time. You don't let people make that decision when they're young because they're, there's not time. You can't vote until you're how old? 18. Now, people under 18, nothing personal, but our government has decided you don't have the common sense to make a good decision about voting until you're 18. You can't vote till you're 18. can't drive until you're 16. And there are reasons for that. Imagine going home to your eight-year-old and say, here's the keys. No, there's timing to everything in our life. And Jesus understood the importance spiritually of timing in our life. In our passage for today in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, if we go back and look at that, it says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, when Simon said to Jesus, everyone is looking for you, what is he really saying? What are you doing? You you can do this praying stuff later. You got people to talk to. They're looking for you. Why are you here? He certainly felt that Jesus was at the wrong place at the wrong time. But he could not have been more wrong himself because Jesus was exactly where he needed to be doing exactly what he needed to be doing. And the world may not get that. But listen to me, you need to take time alone with your God. Nobody else will facilitate that. You can't expect your spouse or your parents or your friends or your boss or anybody else to to help you find time with your Savior. You're going to have to make that time alone. Some years ago, when Earl Weaver was a manager of the Baltimore Oreos, Pat Kelly, one of his outfielders, showed up late for practice. True story. When Weaver asked him why he was late, Kelly, who was a born-again Christian, said, I was in my quiet time with the Lord. That was his excuse for being late. I was in my quiet time with the Lord. He said, you do want me to walk with the Lord, don't you? Weaver remarked, actually, Pat, I'd rather you walk with the bases loaded. (laughs) Nobody cares about your quiet time but you. And they're not gonna help it to happen if you don't make it happen. Our lives move at a certain pace, but so does our ministry. And I told you it was all about timing in the life of Jesus for his personal life, but also for his ministry. By ministry for you and for me, What I mean is what you are here to do. Why are you here? Again, if it was only the purpose of Jesus to come to die on the cross, that was his central purpose. But he could have done that the first day of his ministry. He could have said, Lord, I'm here to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. It's day one of my ministry. Why drag it out for three years? I'll just do it now and be over with. Why would he do that? It wasn't yet Time. For you and us, you and I, it's exactly the same. There's a certain place and a certain time that God wants us to do certain ministries for Him. It's a matter of time. What you're here to do, God has placed you here on this earth for you and I, the same as with Jesus, when we if the only purpose of this life is for us to get saved, The moment we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior should be our last breath. Let's just go straight to heaven. Bypass anything else. What are we doing here? Well, that's not the only purpose God has for for you in your life. God has a ministry for you. That is what you are here to do as God's ambassador. Time. I want to give you two quick results as we go today for, uh, uh, of a good quiet time, two wonderful results of a quiet time. Number one, you'll have less stress. Believe it or not, you'll have less stress. There's nothing that will help you. If you have a tendency to blow your top on the outside or on the inside, some of you are good at hiding it, but you're boiling on the inside. If you have a tendency to do that, nothing will help you more than a genuine quiet time every day with your God. God will really help you with that. You'll have less stress. Psalm 23, that famous psalm, perhaps the most famous passage in the Bible, the Lord is my shepherd passage, in verse 2 he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside what kind of waters? Quiet waters. And then he says this, he restores my soul. Now, I really think that last clause, he restores my soul, would not be there if it weren't for the previous clause. He leads me beside quiet waters. It's God that does the leading. He's the shepherd. He leads us beside quiet waters, not frightening waters, not rapids, but quiet waters. And in the midst of that quietness, he restores our soul. Number two, you'll be more productive. You'll have less stress and you'll be more productive. I can tell you this from John chapter 15, verse four, for example. These are the words of Christ. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. He says there has to be a connection that remains. And for those people who don't ever go to church or they say, I don't need church, I can just do my own thing and worship my God my own way. I don't know if they've read this verse. You can't pull yourself off the vine, whack your... Branch off the vine and go off and do your own thing and expect to bear fruit. To bear fruit, I'm not a tree expert, but to bear fruit, any branch that bears fruit can only bear fruit if it's connected to the vine. And Jesus says the same about you and me in our life. You and I can't do anything productive in our life apart from Jesus Christ. And we need to spend time with him. What do you think that means to abide In Christ. In our life and in our culture, we seem determined to destroy all stillness, calmness, quiet moments, and replace them with noise, any noise, the TV, movies, radio, phones, cars, computers. We find something that makes noise to replace this. The quiet. But where is the quiet moment necessary for us to meet our God? We have to find that His direction, His grace, His comfort. Don't let this hectic, noisy, cluttered world this week rob you of your quiet time with God. Pray with me. Father, we come to you and we say, first of all, we acknowledge our weakness to you. The week went by. Thank you for those two quiet days, by the way. I pray that when you provide, especially as we see that you provide quiet, no planes in the air, no cars driving around, no dogs barking, just quiet. And we seize that moment to come close to you. And we don't waste it on social media or watching Netflix or some worthless endeavor in our life. And we see this and think, ah, this is a moment where I can be with my Savior. I need focus. I need direction. Help us even now. As you're praying, no one's looking around. I want to challenge you this morning. When was the last time you really spent time with your Savior? You can now. Right where you are, nobody's looking around. Now, I encourage you later on to get alone. Find a place where you can be completely alone and spend a bigger block of time with God. But you can begin that right now, right where you are. No one's looking around. As you, as you continue to pray, would you stand? As you stand, as you pray, right now, spend some time with your God.